Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Well, welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Tobias Wright and Giovanna Jacques, as well as our guest co-host Matt Cummings. More about him in one second. Okay, so now you know who we are, and let me tell you what we do. We do America's talk radio show about opera period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Hey, give us a call. 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or you can leave us a message. 224-218-9BOX. Again, 224-218-9269. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM. We are live streaming WNUR.org slash pop up. We are on iTunes tomorrow night where you can catch this show in replay. This week, we start off by going inside the huddle with tenor Matt Cummings. He's currently completing his master's in voice and opera right here at Northwestern, where he recently sang the role of Little Bat in Carlisle Floyd's opera, Susanna. He also spent last summer as a studio artist at Opera Theater of Pittsburgh, which is also his hometown. Then, in Chalk Talk, it's our back-to-school special, School Who Needs It. Can you succeed as an opera singer without going to undergrad or grad school in voice? And if you can't, what do you need to know to make it through the gauntlet? We'll give you everything we got on the matter. Plus, we've got all your opera headlines, our hot takes on them, and the two-minute drill. Let's do this. We're live. No edits. No filters. Keep it locked right here, right now. Kickoff is next. WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Opera Box. Score. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Hey everybody, what's up? George Cedarquist here in the studio. We have a fantastic crew. We got a fantastic show for you tonight. Let me kick it off by introducing Tobias Wright. Still swimming, baby. <laughs> is, that's it? That's all I got today. That's my, all you got My to- back has not been shaved in a while, so. Okay. Do, do, you, do you swim? Is that like your form of exercise or you lift or what? Ex- me? No, I just work so much that I can't eat properly. <laughs> okay. That's how I fight my battle against the man boobs, George. Giovanna Jacques. Hello. It has been such a long time. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be back here. Do you do you swim to work out, Giovanna? I don't swim to work out. I I, I do work out though, um, but I don't swim that much. George, do you swim? I swim and I play tennis. What? And I ice skate in the winter. Aren't you just the <laughs> fanciest? I cannot go to a gym. That that is so unappealing to me. I uh, can't even hey. tell you. I've got to be competitive, playing against somebody else in something. Well, if you ever want your butt kicked in something, you just let me know. I'll give you a call. Matt Cummings, so great to have you on the show. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It was a long walk across campus to come here. 
Yeah, yeah, not too far. <laughs> Although you carpooled with Tobias because, God forbid, you guys are roommates. Oh, well, I, I was up here making some recordings already, so I just met him on the street. Which is where <laughs> I live. Matt, I have a question. Yeah. Go ahead. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is it like to live with Toby? I ask because I, I want to propose to him, <laughs> and I want to know beforehand if I should live with him first and like decide... You know? Yeah, you know, so I help a girl out. I can't say that I wasn't a little bit afraid before I moved in for the first time. I am okay. a crazy person. Yeah, I know. But uh, he's actually a really, really great roommate. That's what I'm talking about. If I could hug you, I would, I but know. I'm afraid of close contact. Well, we're going to get to know a lot more about <laughs> Matt in our first segment of the show. It's called Inside the Huddle. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. So, Matt, uh, here you are at Northwestern. You went to undergrad here. I did. I've been here for quite some time. And and what's your take on Evanston? I grew up in a college town, which was a totally awesome college town. I think Evanston is pretty lame, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't mind Evanston so much when I came here for the for for undergrad and for the that kind of nurturing environment. It's pretty pretty great. But you know, once I started to move more towards being an independent adult, I definitely wanted somewhere with a little more personality. So I I moved down into Edgewater first, and then Rogers Park, and I commute up to school. Right on. That's good. And how, I mean, how did you get into singing opera in the first place? What's the story? So I started as a, as a choir kid. Uh, I had a music teacher in elementary school. Who, you were a boy soprano? I was a boy soprano. Still. still. I, still I still sometimes <laughs> dabble. The <laughs> most Matt. insane head voice I've ever heard on a human <laughs> that's not a woman, and it is Matt Cummings. Love it. <laughs> so I, I did the choir thing until high school, and then high school choir turned into musicals, and I started taking some voice lessons to be able to do the songs once I got principal roles in the musicals and my teacher kind of said you know you might have more of a voice than you think you do and I did a summer program one time for musical theater and there were two kids there who were so so into opera and I had never really been into it for very I had never really been into it before that and I thought that if these guys were so into it there must have been something that I wasn't getting so I I Checked out every book I could find out of the Carnegie Library in Pittsburgh and read, you know, started with Opera for Dummies and really went through until I knew what I was listening to. Where, where are those two kids now, by the way? Uh, I actually just ran into one of them last week at a Labor Day barbecue on Lake Michigan. He's working at the Lyric now. Oh, well, so, that so takes worked, the wind so, out of yeah. my joke that I was going to do. Okay. <laughs> well, bully for him. So, yeah, you grew, you, so you grew up in Pittsburgh. I did. I grew up in Squirrel Hill. Uh, pretty close to the universities and not too far from downtown. You grew up in either. a place called Squirrel, Squirrel Hill. Hill. I was yeah, say and, same thing. well, it's really aptly named. There are hills everywhere, and they're covered in squirrels. So I can't wait to go. I, I can't wait till you take me home calls? to meet your parents, and I, we frolic with squirrels. I know. Yes, that's the that's the actual name of the of the neighborhood. It's all over all the signs. Squirrel Hill. It's it's wow. right where Carnegie Mellon is. Yeah, it's kind of Carnegie. It's like the border of Oakland and Squirrel Hill. Yeah, Oakland is where um, University of Pittsburgh is. Right. It's, my sister went to Carnegie Mellon. It's a it's it's a beautiful campus. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Did you ever have growing up in Pittsburgh? Did you ever want to go to Carnegie Mellon? It was too close to home. I grew up maybe ten minutes from CMU, but it's a it's a great school. Yeah, it's a great school. That's I why took, I asked. Yeah. Uh, my senior year of high school, I took voice lessons from a from a teacher who also works there and works at the Civic Light Opera, the big musical theater company mm-hmm. downtown. So, I. I knew what it was, and I knew it was great, and I wanted a school that was like Carnegie Mellon, but was not 10 minutes from my house. Well, and so you, you end up at Northwestern. Right. Um, talk to, just really quickly, we, I, I want to hear about your grad school experience, but tell us a little bit about the undergrad experience, and I know Northwestern is something that's really unique, and I want your opinion on this. Um, 
they offer dual degree scholarship. What's that? They do. I was a dual degree student myself. I when I was applying to schools, actually, I I only applied to music schools that also offered that that offered a BA program as well. Because which I, is what? What's a BA? Uh, like a Bachelor of Arts, a regular, a real college degree. A real as, college degree. As uh, as my parents would say, honestly, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was. That was what I knew college to be, and I wasn't necessarily comfortable jumping right into a conservatory unless I knew I could also, you know, complete a regular four-year bachelor's. So you have two degrees from Northwestern. I do. I did a bat. You I, had music, voice. And I also finished a bachelor in economics. Oh, wow. So Jeez, what you're okay. telling me. Is that I'm dumb and you're smart. Well, I wouldn't put it that way. But, but, I mean, <laughs> but actually, yeah. <laughs> well... If the shoe fits. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you're a genius, which is awesome. and But that is kind of confusing that you're a genius. Uh, and now you're getting a master's in music. I mean, whatever. Um, but did you go straight into grad school? I didn't. I took a year off. I did go straight into grad school applications my last year of undergrad. And more because it seemed like the next logical, the mm-hmm. quote unquote logical step mm-hmm. than really anything else. So you didn't intend to take the year off. I had... I had toyed with it, yeah, and I decided to go ahead with applications after talking to some people, and I figured that I may as well go for it, and with with the understanding that it I didn't need to go to grad school or my world would end, and I did all my applications, and I ended up with a bunch of auditions, and I got into a school that I really wanted to go to, but hmm. did not get any money from them, mm-hmm. and I decided I couldn't take on you know $130,000 of debt. This so, was the economist in you. I know. Yeah. Right. The exa- yeah. I did the exact same thing, Matt, except I did it for two years in a row. And it's, yeah, I, I it's tough. It's, it's a, you, oh, you really do oh, think. Oh, I took on that debt, baby. Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> if you read my bio on the website, it says that I'm looking to find a rich woman to support my habits. Aren't we okay, all Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> That's not actually true to any beautiful women listening. I am just single and would just love to love you. Anyway, Matt, back to you. <laughs> well, we're, we'll get to the the school side of things, I think, in our, our second sure. segment a little bit more. I actually wanted to go back to Pittsburgh and talk about the opera scene there because, uh, well, you, you tell us, Matt, how would you describe the scene in your hometown? So the first few operas that I ever saw in my life were at Pittsburgh Opera. Uh, the the choir that I started in as a kid actually is the the children's chorus that – Pittsburgh Opera takes their kids from. So I went to go see some of my friends in Midsummer Night's Dream when I was 11 years old. Yeah, Benjamin Britten. And what a first opera it was. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And... You you just did Midsummer Night's Dream. I did. did you it not? was a, it was a pretty funny full circle kind of thing. I still remember learning that audition excerpt when I was officially a boy soprano. <laughs> but they so play, they play such a critical part of that opera, right? And it's so beautifully written for that children's chorus. Yeah, I don't. I remember not really having any idea what I had seen, but also kind of liking it. I don't know if my mom would say the same thing. Yeah, but she didn't like it. I think she was even more confused than I was. Do your parents? Did did they go? Were they music lovers growing they, up in Pittsburgh? Uh, we are. We grew up going to a lot of musical theater. They definitely love music, but no one in my family was really interested in classical music until I made the jump at the end of high school. I decided okay. I needed a project, and I decided to teach myself about opera. And do they like it now? They like. They are coming around. I mean they they got to see me and Susanna, and they I gave them as much of a a briefing as you can expect about about Susanna. Susanna's and written by Carlisle. It's by Carlisle Floyd, Floyd mm-hmm. and it's uh, it uh, it incorporates a lot of American folk music in in terms of you know what the what the music sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, and it is written to kind of, to sound as much like 
like a spoken drama as possible. Okay. Uh, but the story is really, really dark and very yeah. intense. And even after talking to them about it, they were they were pretty blown away that that an opera could be like that. That mm-hmm. it could have that drama it and could, that realness. And it could be so modern. And then it wasn't a fat lady with horns on it, her head or something. And <sighs> and just so ambiguous about everything that happens. And so, you know, it can give you that those those chills and that that feeling of grossness you kind of yeah. feel dirty all over mm. after a couple scenes in that opera because they're so powerful there's mm. another opera company in pittsburgh pittsburgh opera is kind of the big one but there's also opera theater of pittsburgh that's and that's right. where you were this past summer so well, i mean what's the big difference between the two so opera theater pittsburgh is definitely uh it is a newer operation and they recently went from having a regular season you know that typically goes around uh, from fall to spring, mm-hmm. they've switched it up, and now they do a summer festival. So within six weeks, they cram they cram in uh, four main shows and then two smaller shows. And one of those main shows actually tours around to different locations throughout the city. And it is just a staggering amount of work that happens so incredibly quickly and at a really high level. I was I was blown away by the the talent of everyone there. In terms and what of, were you doing specifically with the company? So I was uh, one of their, one of the younger artists, actually. So I was doing, uh, I was in one of the the Black Box Theater productions. They did a, a selection of five little uh, modern vignettes that were set in a, in a pretty wacky farcical hotel. Okay. <laughs> and they were, they're musically very difficult. But uh, really funny, and and opened it up to for some some wacky stagings, and uh, we got to explore some of the uh, the more exaggerated characters than than you would find even in regular operas. It makes yeah. sense. Jonathan Eaton, who is the man who runs the company, who who I know and and respect, he he is pretty wacky. You mm-hmm. know, he trained in Germany and he ran. He was the intendant in. Oh God! I'm gonna say Dortmund. I hope that's right. I know. I know it was in the northwest of Germany, either Dortmund or Bielefeld. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he trained there, then came over to the U.S. So he he's got some ideas, that's for sure. Yeah, and his main main project that I got to work with him on was a production of Richard Strauss's uh, Die Schweigsame Frau, The mm-hmm. Silent Woman, mm-hmm. which is really not an opera that anyone ever does. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I I've said that to even a couple of my coaches back at Northwestern, and they say they did what show yeah who on earth has ever heard of that yeah yeah good Uh, for them but it was it was really fantastic they hired great singers and the audiences were so excited to get to see this show that no one ever ever does Mm -hmm. because it requires someone singing the highest of high and the lowest of low and it uh is just wacky about 10 people are always singing at the same time Please tell me that you, as a Pittsburgher, are obsessed with your sports teams like every other person who lives in Pittsburgh. Wait, wait, can I attest to this really quick for Matt? You may. In his room, he has a terrible towel for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unbelievable. But it is in German. That was a gift from my little sister. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> he's because he's a genius. It so. was a gift from my little sister the year that I was studying yeah. abroad in Vienna. Yeah. She decided I needed one to come with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Der schreckliche Handtuch? Or Just what? about, yeah. Okay, am I close? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was the thing. That was one of the things that really annoyed me about Pittsburgh was like people, late women, middle-aged, well-groomed women would wear Steelers gear to like fancy parties and no one 
batted an eyelid. I'm telling you, it's a way of life out there. When they say this is Steelers country, they are not messing around. They really mean it. They love are their they, Steelers. They really they love Pittsburghers. Their, I, what else would you call so the them? Pittsburghers is the that that's that's the main. That's probably it's, the official word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, we are the word that we call that we often call ourselves oh, yeah, here is, we go. The, is the Yinzer, the Yinzers, which yeah. has to do with the pretty ridiculous Pittsburgh accent that I yeah. I grew up there and I had I knew people growing up who had the the really strong Pittsburgh accent. Can you do us a, I, yeah, I was a gonna little? Say, I was gonna say I honestly can't do yeah. it. Can oh, you do it? Oh, no, yes, you I've, can. I've, I mean, I know I I doing I've it. worked so hard to rid myself of this <laughs> no. accent that I can no longer do it. Well, I've tried to do it for people before because it's pretty hilarious. I mean, well, I can just do. Just try. I mean, you're uh, only on the air. You can. Uh, it's a little bit like a, this. It's kind of, Ian's guy's going downtown tonight, get some pierogies, you, know, you can go over East Liberty. Well, that's oh, not very Light. I mean, it's pretty crazy. I've never it's, been more attracted to it. It's very, it's very Appalachian. Pretty much. Really. It yeah. often slips into my, my southern plantation accent. Yeah. Oh, God. Matt, you've got too many teeth to be a true Yinzer, I think. That's probably. pretty true. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, to all our listeners from Pittsburgh, it's been wonderful having no, you. No, man, let's get that hate mail going. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I love Pittsburgh. I, I honestly can't think of a better place to grow up because it's just on the, it's big enough of a city that they've got everything that you can want, but it definitely feels like like home. There's you know, the, there's a sense that everyone kind of knows each other in, the, in your neighborhood, and uh, there's, a, there's a real community there. Steelers are crushing the Redskins, by the way, 38-16. It's almost the end of the fourth what quarter. I like to hear. So just to put your heart at ease there, Matt. <laughs> uh, George Cedarquist here with my team on Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. Number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR, 847-866-9687. Hanging out with our special guest co-host, Matt Cummings, we are going to be right back after this PSA. Stick around. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Some amazing living foodimals, but we've also discovered an urgent matter that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. Our latest mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Help Flint and the Feeding America Network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org/hunger. Together, we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the. Advocate. My name is Dale Pazinski, and this is how I live united. I volunteer with United Way, helping the homeless in my community by teaching computer skills and helping them build a basic resume to save on their very own USB drive. It's huge when somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent. Brought to you by adoptuskids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. 
Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Happy Monday, everybody. George Cedarquist here, WNUR-FM. You're listening to Opera Box Score. I'm hanging out with the likes of Tobias Wright. Yes, you are hanging out with me, George. And it is a pleasure to have Giovanna Jacques and Matthew... <laughs> L. Cummings in the studio. <laughs> Matt Cummings here. He is a tenor uh, doing the graduate program at the Northwestern University, which is about, oh, I don't know, 500 yards behind the studio right here. Uh, it's our back to school special. We're talking you through everything you need to know about whether or not to go to school and if you have to go to school for voice, what to know. Matt was talking us through his path, and one of the parts of that path is actually a gap year between undergrad and grad school. Fill us in, Matt. So, yeah, I said that I ended up not being able to follow through with my auditions the first time, and I was happy to be able to 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 go back to school the second year, the, the after my second round of auditions, and after living in the real world and really being a responsible adult for a year, I look at school so much differently because, you know, you get a better idea of what everything costs. Yeah. Well, and- let's get into the meat and potatoes, then, of our official Chalk Talk segment. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Now, my first question is this, is actually, could you become an opera singer and not go to an undergrad program for voice? Is such a thing possible? I think so. I mean, I, I think you obviously have to have the talent and you have to have someone who, um, who is training you, who is giving you some kind of guidance. But I definitely think that you're capable of doing that if you have the direction and someone pointing you in it, but I don't have to think you have to go to school and pay tuition to be an opera singer. There's a really odd preconceived notion that a singer's path is undergrad, graduate school, YAP, success, and major role in a giant opera company. And I, I really think that, you know, because the, the world of opera is now so competitive and there are so, so many singers, mm-hmm. that path just doesn't work. And we've talked about this on the show before, and... And, you know, it might work for some people, certainly, but it's not the only path. And I think that's something that's important to, to bring up is you can take, you know, four gap years or, or whatever. You can not go to school for singing and still make it. I mean, Marie-Nicole Lemieux, who's an amazing Canadian singer, never had a never had a, any kind of education in singing. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. I would definitely agree with that. I, I know that when I was weighing the options of whether you audition again, what, what came up, what I was deciding is, you know, what's the best way that I can present that I can improve the package that I'm presenting to people to make myself hireable. Did anyone ever present to you though, after your undergrad, the idea that, Hey, you don't have to go to grad school. Did anybody ever say you don't have to do that? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was ever said, you know, out out front. I I think that oftentimes it's presented as you don't have to go to grad school right away with the assumption that you will will come back later, Mm -hmm. whether, 
whether or not or you'll go true, somewhere else or you'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for me, I th- I thrive in an in an environment that has you know a fair amount of academic structure because the um the study of music is really what got me interested in it. And I like to know the absolute background of everything I've ever done. It's funny though. It seems to me that, uh, that there's two things that you're really trying to get out of undergrad and they have nothing to do with what you study at all. The first thing is to get away from home. It's the first time in a young American's life that they are basically not living with their family. And that is a huge part of what college is. And, And that doesn't mean going to another state or even another city, you can get away from home and still go to Northwestern and still be from Evanston. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, the second part of it seems to me is to meet other people that are interesting and different from yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And exactly. Whatever you're going to be that's going to make that happen, that's what you really get out of college. And whether you're going into like poli sci or biology or urban planning or dare I say voice, this is all so tertiary in the whole argument. True. And in, in grad school, you uh, what you really have to weigh in is that you're 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 trying to build a network of mentors. And as much as anything else, you're there to have access to these established networks and be able to meet people who uh, who know what they're talking about and may be able to put you in touch with other people who know what they're talking about. And uh, just having that in grad school is not the only way to get there, but it, it really makes a huge difference in this type of business. Does it, you know, and kind of back to what George said about the undergrad, I think it's one thing that does make it difficult Um is that adjustment. So especially as a musician, you're going, you're you're 18, whatever, for an undergrad, and how hard is it to become a professional opera singer when you're 18? It's darn near impossible. Right. Um, and then there are the huge, not just musical adjustments that you're making, but suddenly you have changed your entire life if you do go away to school to study it. And I think so much of undergrad um, for many different majors, but specifically for music, is just a huge adjustment, and it's not really honing a craft. And that's why I think if you were to skip undergrad and you really had the talent and the guidance, I think you could actually, there could be success found as an opera singer um, because your focus would only be music if you did it without the academics. But with grad school, Matt, do you feel like that there, um, do you have a different sense of urgency to your approach? You seem to be someone who cares deeply about your craft and and your approach to it mm-hmm. um do you feel a different sense of urgency or or anything a change in how you approach it now that you know you only have one year left of school <laughs> well there's definitely more of a sense of focus if not urgency i mean there's there's some urgency bumbling under the surface too <laughs> but there is uh if it's being able to remove yourself from f- from other responsibilities as much as possible for two years and really focus on uh Building a network of people who you know, building a technique that works for you, uh, getting getting experiences that you really would have, getting experiences all in one place that outside of grad school you would have to maybe scrounge for and and you know pound the pavement. And that that doesn't mean that one of them is necessarily better or worse. I think you could say there are pluses and minuses to both of them. But in in grad school, you have a staggering amount of opportunities all in one place, opportunities to work on even things beyond your vocal technique, languages, learning more repertoire, getting more stage experience uh, in a in a place that's not entirely as safe and incubated as undergrad, but isn't quite the real world either. Giovanna, you were mentioning earlier that you applied for, but never actually ended up going to graduate school. How has that affected your path and your career? Well, my decision was based a little differently because I decided to remove myself from the race entirely. 
Um, and it took me two years to realize that if I still wanted to do this career, grad school was not the only way. Um, I also just honestly didn't have the money and um, I didn't have the focus anymore. DePaul was a little strange in the sense that the undergrads and the grads were completely mixed. So there wasn't really a separation. And I honestly, this is not against DePaul by any means, but I, I got a sour taste in my mouth about the graduate program there just because I felt like I was getting as much as any grad student was getting as an undergrad. So, because you, you guys were so it made you think mixed. that all grad schools were not necessarily, it didn't mean you were a better singer or that they were more qualified? No, no, no. It didn't make me really think that other grad schools were like that because it was clear that DePaul was kind of an anomaly. It just made me realize that I didn't like it enough mm-hmm. to, to pursue it in that way. Grad school just seemed not entirely necessary to me. So Matt, for you, has it made you feel like it, you want to keep pursuing it? Has it answered any questions that way for you? I was pretty surprised when I went back, actually. I thought that being at Northwestern for undergrad would give me an accurate idea of what it would be like to be a grad student. And in some ways it did, and in other ways it really didn't. It's a different world in terms of what you have to, uh, how much work you're expected to do on your own Mm -hmm. and how much work you're capable of doing on your own, even. I mean, it's been a couple years since since you were a junior and you're, I've, you matured as, matured as a singer, matured as an artist, you've got a lot more information at your fingertips and there's more, uh, more chances to apply that practically as an instructor of non-major singers, as uh, an assistant to some of the professors and in really continuing to take command and take ownership of what it, what it means to be able to sing this music and to be able to sing it accurately and to be able to sing it beautifully and to be able to sing it well overall. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Opera Box Score on WNUR-FM. We're hanging out with Matt Cummins, tenor, who is here at Northwestern University. So what are the sort of top flight grad programs out there in voice if we had to do, you know, the top three or the top five? I mean, the heavy hitters are, are often, you know, there's Curtis, Institute yeah. of Music in, in uh, Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, Juilliard is is perpetually on everyone's wish list. Um, Manhattan School Manhattan of Music, Manhattan School of Music is a is a is a AVA. Does we do we count that? AVA is also in Philadelphia. It's also yeah. in Philadelphia, right. the Academy of Vocal Arts. But so some of these places, if you really think about them, we're talking about the top quote unquote top you know places to get a master's degree, and they're really m- more. Not they're not as geared, I seemingly toward the academic side of it. They're That's really true. geared toward grooming you to be a professional singer. Mm-hmm. That's true. And 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 so here was my biggest thing with grad school. Um, I'm very grateful that I have a graduate degree from Northwestern, but I didn't feel like I thought my education was insanely awesome, and I wanted to go to a place where people were more talented and smarter than me. Neither of those were hard to accomplish, and I got lucky and got into Northwestern. <laughs> but for me, now that I am in, in the professional world, I wish that sometimes grad school um, geared you toward more toward preparing you um, for a pursuit of a career that's really difficult to do. Because it's like, I felt like I graduated, and it was like, all right, good luck, bye. And they like kind of give you a pat mm-hmm. on the butt, and we're like, thanks. Mm. And you wonder, uh, what do I do now? Yeah, so, I go this, ahead, Matt. This- yeah, sorry, Matt. I think that's part of the the question about these grad programs in general is how much of it is still nurturing, training, trying to shape what what's trying to shape the potential that's there, and how much of it is putting up on stage finished products. Right. And I think you can pull 
every professor in a grad school and every student in a grad school, and you'd get a lot of very different answers. Mm -hmm. Should there be a common answer? Or should I, it be tailored for each student? Well, you would hope that it... I, I would hope that it's tailored as much to the what the student needs as possible, but that is... I wouldn't know. I don't really know if that's a tenable situation. To, I mean, what I, do you think grad school should be? I'm putting you on the spot. I know you really are. We'll talk about this later when we're cuddling on the couch. Giovanna, <laughs> <laughs> bail the boys out here. Yeah, I have a question, Matt, because I mean, I've I've wondered this question. I've I've asked myself this question quite a bit, and I wonder if it's just because I don't know. But another large part that I did not go to to a master's degree for voice. I want a master's degree. I just don't want it in music. Is because I felt like it was so oversaturated. Like there are so many master's students in voice that aren't going to make it. They're not going to make it. <laughs> Just say it. They're not going to make they're it. They're not going to make it. There's and not enough parts. They're, they're not, not going to make it. Oh, yeah. this is therapeutic. They're not going to make it. Yeah. I mean, we're... We, it's like the Goodwill hunting. <laughs> I, it's not I, your fault. It's not your fault. I'd say most grad students are reminded of that on a weekly, if not daily basis, <laughs> right. either by themselves or by someone else. And it, it comes down to Grad school is what you make of it, and mm -hmm. the after being in the real world for a year, I feel more attuned to that than I necessarily would have if I'd gone right in from undergrad. Because I know, I mean, you know what a voice lesson costs. You yeah. are not gonna you're uh, you're not gonna take them for granted if you know how hard it is to get that access when you're outside of the network. It really, uh, it really makes a big difference to uh, to how you prepare things when you know how short when you when it feels like a clock is always ticking. That, that, for me, puts a really positive pressure to make the most out of my time in grad school, to say yes to as many things as possible, to uh, try to soak it all in so that I can, uh, so that I can hopefully apply it in the, in the coming years out in the real, quote-unquote, real world. Do you feel world. like any of it is, is a scam, per se? Like any, I mean, grad school's expensive, right? Yes. And there are a lot of singers that are accepted into grad programs where I'm sure the faculty is well aware that those singers will not make it. But do you feel like there's, there's some kind of need? You know, the, the academia needs money, so they accept students because that means more tuition. Do you feel like, in a way, it's, it's a system that needs that's a little bit somewhat corrupt? Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of classical singing in general. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, that the university system suffers from that just as much as all of the young artist programs that charge a $50 application fee for people that they're never going to hear. Yeah. But, but you know what? And, and I will say this about Northwestern. I feel like I think it, they are calculated investments that they make for the students that they allow. in because they have a lot of people that apply. I mean, they get to choose, you know. Um, and I think they do a, a somewhat okay job of picking projects. And then there's, of course, they're going to, you know, have the people who get a full ride. And generally those are safe investments. They know they're going to get a return. They know these people are going to have careers. Um, well, I'll tell you where it can be a real con, actually, is, is for directors going to grad school, right? So I got my MFA in directing here at Northwestern, and I mean, it's a top-flight program. But honestly, as a director, there is no point in going to an MFA program unless it's top-flight, because you will just be spending your money. You will not be getting the network that you need to succeed. Maybe you'll get some of those skills. But honestly, you might as well just as well move to New York or Chicago or L.A., start self-producing, and do your own thing. I'm talking to the directors out there right now. You do not need to go to a second-rate grad school. Just do it yourself. Obviously, apply for the top-flight stuff. If you can get in, great, go. But you do not need anything below those top three or those top five schools. Hmm. 
That's it. And, you know, I think as a singer, it's a little bit different. And I think this goes back to the uh, you can skip undergrad and be great. I really think if you can find the right, just uh, the right teacher. And if you take the time to learn the way that you should learn. And I think, Matt, you talked about this. There's a different there's a clarity with how you learn now because, you know, the process. And I think if you can find that, you don't have to have a grad school at all. If you can find a good teacher in the right place to be, you can just explode because you have the talent and the drive to do it. I think the final problem with grad school can be the exiting part. And as we exit this segment, let's talk about that briefly, which is how do you transition out of a grad school program into the career, into the group at large? That's something that I did not get a lot of practice, training, experience, chat about when I was moving off out of my grad program. How has it happened or how do you think it will happen for you, Matt? Well, I mean, I'm trying to go into this year's <laughs> the, uh, this year's audition season with a healthy dose of cautious optimism. Uh, but there, it's really just knowing that you don't have to have the answer right away is pretty enlightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, I'm just I'm really trying to figure it out as I go what that what that means coming out of school what it what'll be because I don't want to go back I don't want to graduate and just go back to where I was on the gap year I need I mean it needs to be. It, it needs to. I, can I give further. you advice? Yes, as, as please. Not only <laughs> please do, studio, Tobias. Yes, I think the most important expectation to have is that it won't be what you think it's going to be. Exactly. And I think that's part of the beauty of grad school is you're allowed to fail, and that's okay. And you're allowed to fail once you graduate, but it's just a matter of knowing there will always be an opportunity if you're willing to look for it. Um, and. I think they do a good job of maybe telling you that there will be lots of opportunities, but I think there's no certain path. And that's what grad school, that's where I got jaded at grad school is because I was like, everybody thinks there's this path and I don't know how there is this one singular way for us all to go become opera singers because that just seems crazy to me. Tobias, that's a pretty upbeat note to end on. Yeah. I would say. Good for you. We're going to do it. Hand hug me, Matt. (laughs) You're listening to Opera Box Score on WNUR FM, Evanston, Chicago, 89.3 FM. Uh, We're going to step aside for a couple minutes here for PSAs. We're back with the two-minute drill right after this. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Another kid drops out of school. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. And the difference between a dropout and a graduate could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This is the sound of a flat screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah! And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. 
was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Live from Chicago, this is Opera Box Score. With George, Oliver, Tobias, and Giovanna. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes or less. South African tenor Johan Botha died last Thursday at his home in Vienna, aged 51. He made his local stage debut at 24 and moved to Vienna the following year. By the mid-1990s, he was a fixture at the Metropolitan Opera and the Vienna State Opera in the major Wagner roles, as well as some of Verdi's operas. Botha's impressive performances were sometimes marred by adverse criticism centered on his body size. In his first discussion of the incident since he took down an audience shouter at the Schubertiade at Schwarzenberg, British tenor Ian Bostridge has told a German newspaper that the same man had disrupted a Matthias Gerner recital the previous night. The heckler interrupted Bostridge's recital in August by shouting, Bitter Deutsch Lernen! Later this month at San Francisco Opera, it will be the premiere of the new opera Dream of the Red Chamber. It's by contemporary composer Bright Shang with a libretto by David Henry Huang. The opera is an adaptation of Cao Shui Qin's sprawling 18th century classic about the decline of an aristocratic family in imperial China. The budget is $3 million. Last Thursday, the revived New York City opera opened an unusual double bill of Rachmaninoff's early, seldom-heard one-act opera Aleko and Leon Cavallo's enduringly popular Pagliacci. Stefan Evers, a leading figure in German Chancellor Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Party, has admitted that a staff member of his was selling his complimentary Staatsoper tickets. Evers said that the staff member has been identified and the abuse stopped. Finally, following up from a news item last week, the city of Alexandria, Virginia, has issued a public apology to opera singer Krista Klaus, who was arrested last week while busking for a living. Quote, I would like to publicly apologize to Ms. Klaus for the way this situation was handled, said city manager Mark B. Jinks. While we are obligated to enforce certain restrictions, we did not follow the correct procedure in this case. And that's the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. (laughs) 
George Cedarquist here. You were back on Opera Box Score on WNUR-FM. Number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Give us a call. Let you know what you're thinking. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. Well, the two-minute drill headlines are in. We're going to start with you, Giovanna. I want to know what what your take is on the death of Johan Botha. Well, I mean, it's sad. So when anyone dies, we were. I, this is this is dumb. But he, he, I hope he shaved his beard. Yeah, the beard had yeah, to that go. Is dumb. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you insulted a dead man's beard, Giovanna. I know. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. It's hard to over um, play the importance of who he was. Uh, he was kind as of a tenor. A, he was kind of a titan. I mean, as far as yeah. careers go in the last couple decades, there I mean, definitely not a lot of other singers in that voice type who are on the same no, level. Yeah, no, not really. I've, I got all. the chance to hear him probably four or five times, and every single time good. he just stands up there. And I mean, he stood up there, and you could pour out this ocean of sound, and it never even sounded like it would, like it there was a risk of him break. Well, let's take a little listen. Actually, uh, Oliver Camacho, our creative consultant, has got two clips prepped for Oliver. us. The first one is from the Verdi Requiem. Uh, this was recorded in Dresden in 2001 under Giuseppe Sinopoli, and we'll take a listen to that. Now, Matt Cummings, our guest co-host here, when you're listening to him singing, I mean, what are you hearing? What makes him so good? I mean, from hearing, I I actually got to go to a Q&A with him one time, and he talks about how much physical work goes into singing. Every single minute of it really has to be grounded in the muscles, and really, uh, it's hard physical work. And what's amazing is that you do not hear that. I mean, he, that was completely effortless, whether it was soft, whether it was loud, whether it was high, whether it was low, he just rode above everything and it sounded like he wasn't even breaking a sweat. It's completely controlled freedom. He was really known for the Wagner repertoire as well. And the second clip that Oliver prepped for us uh, is the role of Walter from uh, the Meistersinger von Nuremberg, the Master Singers of Nuremberg. This is the second half of the famous Prives song. It's a live performance from Vienna. 
both as hometown from 2008 under Christian Tielemann. Let's take a listen. So in addition to that first clip that we heard, Giovanna, what else do you hear in, in that, that second clip? It's as easy sounding as the first one? Yeah, it's powerful. That's what I hear is an immense amount of, of power. And it's, it's, power doesn't mean it's loud or it's particularly strong. I mean, it's strong, obviously, but it's power in the sense that he still has complete control. I think when you hear that, too, uh, the one thing that becomes evident is not everyone can do that. I mean, there are a lot of people who can sing, but then you listen to the layering that happens in Wagner, and you have a chorus, and you have an orchestra that's constantly filling in below you, and it takes so much um, 
You just have to have complete possession of your voice. Exactly. That's and what you've got to understand is that he was huge. I mean, he was big. I remember seeing him in Tannhäuser at Lyric Opera of Chicago. I mean, he was a giant. But look, the fact of the matter is you have to have a huge chest cavity in order to sing on top of that type of a Wagner orchestra, right? This is not Baroque opera with 16 instruments in that pit. This is not Mozart with 30 instruments in that pit. This is like 60, 70, 80 Brass and, right, and put on top of that, that is at the end of an almost four, four or five hour evening of singing. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, the the tenor in the Verdi Requiem gets off a little easy. He does not now. Oh, have whoa, 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 whoa! Come on. Compared to the soprano, who's yeah. got that twenty five minute solo at the end, it's, <laughs> there's nothing he's, easy about a Verdi Requiem. But there's, but it's about two minutes of exposed singing, and that was alone almost. That was almost four minutes of um, incredibly I, I difficult. One thing that I would point out to listeners who maybe don't listen to a ton of opera. When you hear that kind of singing, there's a there's a certain um, a steely sound to that voice, and what that is, he's turned over, he's covered, he's constantly singing in and above his passaggio, in a way that's going to have to cut through a giant orchestra and fill a giant house, and that's where that that's where that thrilling sound comes from from the larger voices, and when you hear even Puccini to an extent, certainly Verdi, and then you talk about Wagner, you have to be able to. Um, turn over and spin and have a sound that is rich and certainly that's what he had and i think 50 young, 51 years old is yeah. too young for anyone to die um especially someone who is you know he obviously fought illness for the last few years of his career but was essentially still in his prime may he yeah. rest in peace Absolutely. you're listening to opera box score on wnur fm we're in the middle of the two minute drill another news item that uh tobias i wanted to ask you about this is sure. when ian bostridge <laughs> the british tenor was the heckler heckled during a recital what gives man like how would how would you prevent this from happening? If is well, how would possible? I prevent that? You know what? I don't think you can prevent it, and I'm not sure that it's a bad thing. You don't know what anybody's going to react. We didn't know that people were going to freak out at Rite of Spring and riot for weeks in Paris or whatever. I, we just didn't know. And how this do you know? This is different, though. This is a guy is being it? a jackass. Is it, George? Yes, okay. It is. It is. Were those people... Can we say that on the air? This, this, okay, first of all, this, this, <laughs> this is an older man, it turns mm. out, who is probably a little demented. And so he's lost he's, on his rocker. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's away with the fairies, as my mother would say. <laughs> Aww, sweet mom. I mean, and so look. I mean, no, you you cannot. You can't read the crowd. You can't know this is going to happen. And right. I think my understanding of the story is that Bostridge actually said to the guys, "Like, all right, you want to say something? Come on up and say it." And then he got cold feet and didn't. And well, then of he got course taken that out. happens. I mean, and so he probably was removed. And I'm sure, actually, and I like Ian Bostridge. I think he is a hell of an artist. Um, so I'm sure the end, the, the evening ended up being all right. I don't know. I've never had a heckler and I've never really felt like being a heckler. I don't know. Sometimes I wish it'd be, it, I could be a heckler at somebody's recital. That's a friend. Yeah, Get him off the stage. I wouldn't <laughs> put it past you. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know how you, I don't, you can't prevent it. And that's part of the joy of live singing. It is that when you go to an opera, when you go to a recital, dude, it could all go wrong. And that's a thrill. And you don't own it anymore. I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. You don't. No one really wants to be heckled, but there's something a little bit exciting about the fact that the audience really felt that strongly about it in one way or in another. Way, yeah. <laughs> Matt Cummings, let me ask you about this one. The uh, recent performances at New York City Opera, they did the double bill of Rachmaninoff's Aleko and then, of course, Lan Cavallo's Pagliacci. Is this the sort of material that the new New York City Opera should be doing? Well, what I think is interesting about that pairing is that uh, Lan Cavallo's Pagliacci is obviously a, a repertoire staple. It 
it gets done all the time, but it's almost always done with Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they chose to pair it with something different that really can bring out some different uh, highlights of what happens in that opera, uh, it it gives them a chance to really go to to bring their mission statement to what they're what they're offering, and that was to pr produce high level performances, things that people knew and knew they loved, and people and things that people didn't know yet and might not get a chance to see. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're getting to uh, show the New York public this Rachmaninoff opera, which I'm sure is beautiful, and I, I, no actually, one has ever I have a couple of friends that were in it, and oh, yeah? they were huge fans of it. Nice. And, and I'm sure it was beautiful, and maybe this opens it up so we get to hear it at some point here, too. We got time for one more hot take on the two-minute drill. Who wants to pipe up here? I'm so I... glad that they unarrested the singer. Yeah, also, <laughs> in wait, Alexander, Virginia. wait, wait, wait. Bustling or busking means begging on the street, right? Yeah, like before. Like she was singing for the, money. Singing for so money, yeah. Was she, like, she doing it because she needed money or was she doing it because she wanted to connect with people on the street? Who, why does a street performer perform? Who knows? Uh, a little, little column A, a little column B. Quite, yeah. exactly. Well, the fact that matters this is that she was within her rights to do this and the city overreacted. Totally. And, and then of all the things in the world that we could be freaking out, Come an on. opera singer on the streets. It made me want to go out and bust out my top hat and sing on a corner, but I'm afraid now of the that public. you should be arrested for. Well, come on, George. I've heard his act. It's pretty good, actually. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We are so close to the end of the show. Good call, bad call coming up right now. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. All right. Well, we're going to let our guest co-host, Matt Cummings, go first. What do you got this week, my man? Good call or bad call? So I'd say a good call is people who know me pretty well might know that I still think it's 1995 sometimes and I still buy CDs. <laughs> and so two CDs that have dropped in the last week that show really high quality singing of very varied repertoire would be Anna Netrebko's new CD and Lawrence Brownlee's new CD. Two singers at the top of their game releasing uh, tracks that people can hear on Spotify, you can hear on YouTube, and you can really get a sense of what the human voice when can the do. When Matt saw the new Larry Brownlee CD, he bought it immediately. It's true. He was sitting right <laughs> next to me. Does Please tell me you have a Walkman. I don't have a Walkman, <laughs> but I've got quite a music collection. Does Netrebko have a whole bunch of glamour shots, like in the liner notes? Oh, have you like seen? The... semi-naked. No, but the new cover has her riding like a cloud of smoke and wearing a pretty ornate crown. Yes. Wait, riding <laughs> not a, like, like straddled on a cloud of smoke? No, she's kind of inside of it, and oh. it also is her dress. It's really hard to describe, but okay. it's a great picture. You got all Tobias Wright, over to you. Yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs were down 24-3, to and all hope was lost for the season in the first game of the NFL season against AFC West foe, the San Diego Superchargers. But... <laughs> They came back. It was the largest comeback in Kansas City Chiefs history from 21 down, and they did win in overtime. And uh, now they're going to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl for the first time since 1970. I'm excited. Giovanna Jacques. I don't even know what sport he's talking about. My good call <laughs> is that I tried the Girl and the Goats owner's new restaurant, which is Duck Duck Goat, and it was the bomb. That's my good goat. That's it for tonight's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts on our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. 
operaboxcom You can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team, and you can always email us at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast version of our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, leave a review, and win a prize. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho for Tobias Wright and Giovanna Jacques and our guest Matt Cummings. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera wearing your brand new backpack. We're back on Monday, 19 September at 9 p.m. Central with more guests, more news, and more hot takes. Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.